man. God is to be praised, isn't he? Even among, even among our mistakes, he is good. He is good and worthy. Holy Spirit, let us hear it.
wind in my sails. Like literally the beat of my heart is because of God and his goodness. And really it's, it's no surprise to you because it's been on the back wall for a month now that this next portion of our sermon series is it's gonna talk about holiness. Holiness is the posture of the kingdom. And really that's all it is, is that, is that God is in everything we are and that everything we are, we give back to him, right? Um, so I'm just gonna read to you, this is from 1 Peter. Got a bookmark for this one. Yeah, that one I was prepared for. I'm gonna start in chapter one, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And that is good news, friends, that we sing about. I just, I just want to let you know, I feel like a broken record saying this, but, but the altars at the front, which have been recarpeted to match, isn't that exciting? <laughs> They're always available to you. And through this next song, we're gonna sing more of this, this idea of holiness of, um, God, here I come before you with one desire that you would reign in me through every, every vein of me, every echo of my day, would you reign in my life? And if that's a prayer that you would rather pray in your seat sitting down or kneeled at your seat or at the altars, this is, this is why we are here. I can't stop thinking about the post June made about our stage, turning our stage back into an altar. And man, is that ever the desire of my heart. I never, ever, ever want this to be a place that you just come and, and look and watch and don't actively participate in this idea of, of laying ourselves at the altar of God, offering ourselves to Him for His glory. And so church, be here. Let's be here offering our lives to Him. Let's, you know what, can you throw on the um, chorus, Dave? Can we just, can we just say this prayer aloud before we sing it? Oh, great and mighty one, with one desire we come, that you would reign, that you would reign in us. We are offering up our lives, a living sacrifice, that you would reign, that you would reign in us. You thought of us before the world began to breathe. You knew our names before we came 
hearts with you. You saw the very day we'd fall away from you. How desperately we'd need to be redeemed. Lord Jesus, come lead us. We're desperate for your time. In mighty one, with one desire we come, that you would reign, that you would reign in us. We're offering up our
this morning. If you want to continue your own prayer, um, again, these altars are always available. But let's just have a time um, right now of a little bit of quiet. truth is that where two or three are gathered, you are there. And we know the truth of your Holy Spirit being in our midst. And we know the truth of your Holy Spirit changing hearts. Therefore, we are here expectant that you are moving and changing hearts, God, even now. And Lord, as we lay ourselves at the altar, whether physically or just in our hearts, God, I just, I pray that your peace and your conviction would come upon us in the holy way that you work. <laughs> that you would just pierce our hearts with your truth, God, that we would know more of what it means to follow you when we leave today than we knew coming in. God, help us as we just approach your throne with humble hearts. Whatever you want to teach us today in the rest of this service, we are here. We are listening. Help us in your strength to say yes to what it is you are calling us to. We know you are good and what you have is good for us. We want to serve you. We want to praise you with our lives. It's in your holy name we pray. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you guys. Um, I'm having one of those mornings where I thought I knew exactly what I was going to come up here and share with you. And um, through our time of worship, I'm like, not so certain where it's going to go this morning. But we're going to start here. Um, for those of you who do not know, um, when our youngest son was born, he had a heart condition that he needed to have open heart surgery real, real soon after his birth. And so for the first year of his life, we would go in for different types of checkups. They'd want to make sure that his heart was developing well. They would also do some developmental checks with him. And um, he always, like, it was one of those things you were literally just like watching a miracle in motion because everything, I mean, just time after time, Tess came back. Yes, he's exactly where he needs to be. Yes, he's developing well. He is right on target. Then he came to this one, this one assessment one day where it was set up kind of similar to this, that um, the, I think it was an occupational therapist, she had gotten his interest with this toy that she was, and so as soon as he's zeroed in on it, he loves it. Then she took it and she put it inside a clear box. And she said, okay, go ahead and let him get it. And he goes over to the box and he's just like, he can't figure out. And so then he's touching the top and he just couldn't figure out why he can see what he wants, but he can't get to it. And as his mom, I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, he's failing this test. Why, why can't he see? Why can't he see that he could just reach in and, and grab it? 
And uh, we were talking to her, and she was mentioning just the way that our brains develop. And in, at that point in Reed's life, his perspective was that he just he was just going to go for something. He wasn't able to think about maybe there being a workaround. He wasn't able to think about another option. It was just, if I can see it, I can't understand why I can't get it. And that got me thinking um, this week as I've been preparing for a new month with our kids about the differences between our perspective and the way that we see things and understand them and God's perspective. This month, our whole series is called Unusual, and we're going to be looking at things like God using unlikely people, Him giving us unexplainable joy, Him working in unusual ways, and all of those things where I'm like, unusual, unlikely, unimaginable, those are all based on the way that we understand things. Those words, that is just how God works. Like, it's unusual to us because it's different than the way that we see things. But God has this ability to work in ways that don't make sense to our brains. And the hard part sometimes about following him is living and being okay with that. So our memory verse this month, I'm going to read it to you. And I want you to pay attention um, to what is happening maybe in your spirit as I read this verse to you, it's from Isaiah 55, 8. It may be well known to some of us. To some of this may be your first time hearing it. But I want you to pay attention to how do you respond to hearing this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And it goes a little further to say, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I don't think I'm alone in this, that sometimes I hear that and I think, but I want it to make sense to me. What do you mean your thoughts are higher than my thoughts? What do you mean your ways are different than my ways? I just want to understand what you're doing. I just want to understand how to get to this thing that I want. And I want to be able to do it my way. I want to be able to do it in a way that makes sense to me. And so maybe you're, you're like me this morning where maybe that verse doesn't always bring you a lot of comfort. There's been seasons of my life where that verse has brought me a lot of comfort. That verse has let me say, you know, I, I'm going to rest in knowing that God has a different perspective on this than I do. So I'm going to be okay right here. But then there's also been seasons where I'm like, I don't understand. I want your ways to be my ways. I want your thoughts to be my thoughts. And in that way, I've almost made my logic an idol in my life. If I couldn't understand it, then it didn't make sense. So we serve a God that to the world looks unusual. We live our lives as followers of Jesus in a way that to the world around us is going to look unusual. But that's because we as humans, we have a limited perspective. Our perspective is pretty much defined by where we are and what we can see. And even on my best days when I'm hearing all the other opinions, I'm trying to see all the other perspectives, I'm still limited in a way. But we serve a God that is unusual in that he is not limited by time or space or position or any of these things. And so not only does he see everything from every angle, he sees it from every time, from every possibility. And so I invite you, as we are we're called to live these unusual lives, that maybe you can find some comfort and rest with me today in knowing that it's okay that we maybe can't see how to get there, but 
God's got a different perspective, and, and He's got us. Thank you, Pastor Mara. And thank you for not leaving that up there to distract me and want to play with, and it looks fun. Well, I want to start this morning with a, um, a trust exercise, and so I'm going to ask uh, Molly, why don't you and Chris come up here? We're going, to, we're going to do a little bit of an exercise here. She looks excited about it. We're going to do one of those, you, you ever seen them where, um, okay, where, where somebody falls and they catch them? Anybody ever seen that? Okay, so Chris, I want you to stand right here. Close your eyes. And Molly, Chris is going to fall back. Wait, wait let, let, let's, let's do this. Let's do this the other way. Okay. I want you to stand in front of your dad. Close your eyes. Chris, please don't, don't let me down here, bud. Okay, okay, close your eyes. All right? I'll tell you, I'll, on, the count, on, the, on the count of three, close your eyes. Okay, close your eyes. One, two, three. Fall. Oh, yeah. We've all done those from time to time or participated. I, I did a, a youth retreat several years ago with Tri-County, and I, I don't think you were on that youth retreat, Josh. I think that was before you. And we went through all those trust exercises. And, you know, trust is important. Why, why is trust important? I'm willing to give myself to the people and things I trust. And so if I trust something, if I trust an organization, if I trust a, a manufacturer, um, in Apple, I trust. <laughs> you, you know, I have a, an iMac, a MacBook, I have an iPad, I'm preaching from an iPad, I, I have an iPhone, I have an Apple Watch, everything I have is Apple. So, so that shows that I have a level of trust, right or wrong, you can be a PC person and, and, and disagree with me, but I have a trust level in Apple. And not only does it apply to, to things, but it applies in relationships. As a matter of fact, it's particularly true in relationships. The relationships that we value are the relationships where there's trust. And so trust is essential in business relationships. Mechanics, you, you want to trust your mechanic and everybody say, amen, right? Uh, that's why I take my Honda vehicle over to Eric and let Eric deal with my Honda, right? You got to trust, you got to trust your, your your mechanics, your financial advisors. You don't take your money to somebody you don't trust. Lawyers, doctors, you want to be able to trust your doctor, right? You, you want to trust the companies you work for. Uh, in, in school, uh, teachers, if you're a teacher out there, your kids, your students need to be able to trust you, that, that you really have their best interest in mind because if they don't trust you, it's very difficult for them to learn from you. Coaches, you got to trust your coaches. Friendships, not just business relationships, friendships, family, church. Trust is essential for good relationships. Stephen Covey writes, trust is the glue of life. It's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It is the foundational principle that holds all relationships. So, so trust is essential. In preparing for this sermon, I, I read an article on the internet. So, you know, we trust the internet, right? Uh, but I read an article, and it was good. Trust is the foundation of love. I, I think that's true. Trust, no relationship will survive without trust. And there is no us without trust. So trust is essential in our relationships. One thing that I've said since I've been your pastor that, that in my ministry that I believe is true, that when we talk about a relationship with God, our relationship with God is not a I do this 
relationship, that our relationship with God is a, re, is a relationship. That's, that's what we're driving to. So trust matters in our relationship with God. In fact, in fact, trust is essential in our relationship with God. If we want to have a relationship with God, we need to be able to trust God. And so we're, we're working through 1 Thessalonians, and we're moving into chapter 4 this month. And, and we're going to begin to dive into these big biblical words, these big theological words, um, holiness or sanctification. Uh, you, you see these words, and sometimes they're interchangeable in the Scripture. Sometimes uh, passages will translate words holiness. Sometimes they'll translate them sanctification. Th these are relationship words. And there's something important to see when we think about relationship word of holiness or sanctification. Trust leads to holiness. As a matter of fact, I think it's fair to say that, that the more we trust God, the, the more we rely on him and trust him, the more likely we are to drive forward into sanctification and holiness. So we're diving into the scripture. Paul, Paul's talking to people he loves and values. Uh, we, we talked about last month. People are the priority of the kingdom. And, and so these people are, are the priority for Paul's ministry. He, they're important to him. And, and in love, Paul is calling them to more. He's calling them to this deep step of sanctification, of holiness. And so I guess this morning what I'd ask you is, I re, as I read through this, can we hear the words in the same way? These are words of love. This isn't, oh, you need to be sanctified. This is, oh, you need to be sanctified. You need to be holy. You need to give yourself fully to God. God can be trusted. These are words of love from Paul to the people of Thessalonica. And they're words of Paul to us today that are words of love. Paul writes, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should, should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to live a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Tell your neighbor, mind your own business. Go ahead. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of other outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, now, we'll be in this passage all throughout July. But this morning, I want to focus on one particular phrase. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Can you say that with me? It is God's will that you should be 
sanctified. Now, now some translations, this is that word that I said, that sometimes it's translated holy and sometimes it's trans, translated sanctified. And, and, and what does it mean then? To, to be sanctified or to be holy? When, when we use this big biblical term, what, what's our understanding of what, what it means to be sanctified or to be holy? Now, now there's two aspects. When we talk about this ideal of sanctification, of being holy, there, there's two parts of it. The first part of it is this. It's the setting apart. In the Old Testament, they had vessels. And this is a good example. They had vessels that they would use in the temple, and they would set these vessels apart for the temple's use, and these vessels would be holy or sanctified vessels. They were being used in temple worship. It's to be set apart. And so in our circumstances, when Paul calls people to be holy or sanctified, one of the things Paul's saying is holiness or sanctification is giving ourselves and our circumstances to God. It's giving ourselves to God. Now, now the word is, is deeper than just that action. That, that when you see the, the word holiness or sanctification, there's a richness that goes beyond just what we do. It's a relationship word. It also result, involves what we call the resulting state. In other words, or better said, it, it involves what happens in our life when we're willing to give ourselves fully to God. It, it also includes that aspect of God at work in the life of the person who's been willing to give themselves fully to God. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. As, as I understand holiness, Romans 12, 1 and 2 explains it best to me. When, when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, then God is able to transform us from the inside out. God is able to renew our mind. So there's both actions involved in this word holiness. There's the giving of ourselves, and it's God giving of himself, changing us from the inside out. Holiness or sanctification is not only our giving of ourselves, it's God's work of transformation in our lives. So, in, in this relational transaction, I give myself to God, and God gives himself back through the Spirit, and God, through the Spirit, transforms and changes me. God moves through prevenient grace, that, that even before we ever respond to God, you realize that God is, is moving towards you before you respond. God is always, is always reaching, always convicting, always um, reaching to his people, and we respond to this. And then when we respond to God, God responds with more of himself, his spirit. So the question is, how are you responding to God? So sometimes you'll, you'll hear the phrase, do you have all of God? And what I found in my life, it's maybe better to understand or better to think about, does God have all of me? See, see in my life, oftentimes it's not been that, that I've, I've experienced less of God because less of God is available. I've experienced less of God because I've given God less of me. <laughs> 
that there's things that I've held back from God. See, God's will for your life is holiness. God's will for your life is sanctification. God's will for you is that you give him everything so that he can transform you. Change your perspective, renew your mind, restore relationships, restore how you view people, change your view, your, your perspective of your circumstances, change your perspective of how you work. So have you done your part? Have you given God everything? Can we go back to that trust word? I'm willing to give myself to the people and things I trust. I am. You know, if I trust someone, if I trust something, I'm willing to submit. And so oftentimes I believe the question is, do you trust God enough to give him everything? You know, this is an honest assessment. This is, this is you and God talking between yourself. This is, I can't judge this, but you can judge this, and you know if there's things that you're holding back, if there's things that you're saying, I'm going to hold on to this. You know, God doesn't want us to play games with these questions. He wants, he wants us to be real. And when we're real and we give God everything, I'm convinced that God is faithful. If I do my part, God will do his part. And God's desire for us is that we are holy. Trust. Trust leads to holiness. It goes back to this phrase I've used over and over. Holiness is not what God wants from us. It's what God wants for us. God wants your best and my best. He wants us to, to just give him everything and, and allow him to work. And, and in that, God wants to give us real life, not take life. Just give God everything. So for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about Josh gets to talk about the next fun part of the scripture, uh, our physical body. And I, I said, I'll leave that for you, Josh. And uh, our relationships, our public life, God just wants it all. And when we give God these things, our circumstances may not ever be perfect, but we can live in this relationship with God, even when our per circumstances aren't perfect, that we can experience real life. Last few weeks, we've been playing with this phrase, why does the church, church exist? And we've been talking about in staff meetings, we've been talking about in other meetings, why is the, why is the church here? And in a lot of ways, it's fairly simple. The church exists to reflect the heart of God, the desire of God, that, that God is seeking people that will fully give themselves to him so that he can give them life. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And the church exists to proclaim that simple message that, that God has come not to condemn or judge, but God has sent us into the world so that people can begin to see and believe that God loves them enough that he just doesn't want to take their life, he wants to give them life. 
when we trust God enough to give him our lives, God gives us real life. We really experience the goodness of God. Where we're really able to love other people. We're really able to serve. We're able to give. We're able to experience life to its fullest. Now, we are part of a, um, a church, a denomination that has historically emphasize those crisis moments, these moments like this. This is a crisis moment when you hear a sermon or you hear a song and, and you respond. Or you go through a circumstance in life and you respond to God in that circumstance. And so we're, we're a crisis. You know, we have an altar. That's, that's a place where you can bring God when you're at one of those crises. Come to God in one of your crisis moments. And what I've learned is this. Never discount the crisis moments. I've had many crisis moments in my life. Now, now, sometimes in our denomination, I've heard, well, you need two crisis moments and you're done, right? You get saved, you get sanctified, and that's it. You know, then, then the rest of the time, you're just filling time till God brings you to heaven and you have glorification time, right? You know, I've heard that or since that, and, and, and maybe that's just my wrong perspective, but what I've found in my life is I continue to experience crisis moments with God where God calls and I respond. Not that, there's just that process of life that as you go through life, there's moment after moment where you need to respond to God. And so what I'm saying is this, maybe there's been those two times you've came to the altar that you got saved and then you got sanctified. And the reality is, God doesn't want us to rely on some past crisis experience, but God wants us to rely on this present day willingness just to give him our all. Sanctification is a process. There's a part of process in this. The scripture says, and if we read scripture correctly, God is saving us. In other words, our salvation begins from the moment we accept into the moment of glorification, that God is saving us throughout life, and God is sanctifying us throughout our lives. That there's this process that, that as circumstances change, we have to continually be responding to God. It's not static. Let me ask you. That one really hurt, didn't it? You could say, man, somebody was just shouting in church today. It was awesome. Is sanctification mainly a past commitment or your reality today? Well, when you talk about your sanctification experience, do, do you primarily say, well, there was a time in June of 1984 at uh, a camp meeting and Dr. Purdue preached and I responded and I was sanctified. Nothing wrong with that. But is it a past experience or is it a present reality? That this morning when you got up, you said, God, I don't know what today holds, but today is yours. Are you trusting God with your present reality? Where you are, your dreams. 
Yesterday we were at the Reds game and the Reds won. Woo! Beat the Cubs. Boo Cubs. Yeah. You Cubs fan. You're a Cubs fan out there. You guys make too much noise. And uh, so we're leaving the game and and so there's a 12 or 13 year old boy and you could tell he's with his grandparents and and he's asking about food. I mean, that's what 12 or 13 year old boys ask about. Where are we going to eat? And Grandpa said the seven worst words you hear as a kid. We have food at home to eat. <laughs> right? No fast food, no pizza, warmed up leftovers. My concern is we see God like that. We see God as we have food at home to eat. There's no joy, there's no fun, there's no, there's no adventure. As if we're missing out on something if we choose to give ourselves to God. Do you trust that God is not just offering the safe life? But real life, the most exciting adventure you will ever have, the richest experience, the best relationships you'll ever have. See, sanctification is a reflection of how much we truly believe God is good all the time. It's a reflection of how, how much we really believe that God will never let me down. It's a reflection of God is the good life, the right life, the life that matters when we give ourselves to God. When we fully give ourselves to God, we're grabbing hold of the best life we could ever have. So the question is do you believe this? <laughs> We're asking to bring the lights down. Um, Amy, is it too much to sing? You're never going to let me down. I just ask you to respond. Amy's going to sing this song, and, and um, I'm going to pray with us. Um, do you really believe he's good? <laughs> do you really believe he's good? Do, do you really believe that he's never going to let you down? If you really believe that, if that's really true in your life, then guess what? Holiness, sanctification, giving him your, your all is the easiest decision you could ever make. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Our altars are available. Um, this is, you know, I, I talk all the time that we don't rely on crisis time. It's crisis moments. It's a crisis moments. We've sang. We've, we've heard scripture. Um, I believe God's speaking to you. Um, if there's something you're holding on to, you know it. I may not know it, but God knows it and you know it. And the question is, in this moment, will you say, God, it's yours. And can I tell you, the best place to leave those things are altars. Lord, help us to be obedient in these moments. Oh, you're never going to live. You're never going to live. Down. Oh, you're never gonna let 
just raise your hand and say, Pastor, there's things I'm struggling with. I, I don't want to come forward, but, but I, I, I can sense the Spirit dealing with me, and there's things that I'm holding on to that I need to let go. Just lift your hands real quick. I, I see your hands. You can put them down. Can I ask you this? Can, can you continue to bring these things to God? Can you talk to Him this week? Can, can you ask Him, God, just tell me, why am I holding on to these things? Let's sing this one more time, then we're close. Oh, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Oh, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. raise your hand and say, Pastor, you're right. I've experienced this, and I've given him my all, and he is good. Would you just lift your hand and just celebration of who God is? I see your hands. You can put them down. Let's pray together. God, you're good. All the time, you're good. Lord, you've never let me down. I've let you down. But you've never let me down. And the reality is, Lord, when I've let you down, you've picked me back up. You've renewed relationship, restored spirit. You've sought me even when I wandered. Lord, I love you. And I thank you, Lord. Lord, I sent you here. And you're working in lives. Lord, those things that we hold back, uh, that we keep from you, they don't lead to life. So Lord, help us... Um, to not let go of this, to trust you, to seek you. And Lord, as we um, give ourselves fully to you, may your spirit fill us, transform us, and renew us. Now, Lord, I confess I don't want to leave this space. But you don't call us to be sanctuary people. You call us to be people who take the sanctuary to our community. You don't call us, Lord, just to in our private 
worship services to experience you and live in that moment. Lord, but you invite us on your mission where your spirit fills us. And as we leave these, these walls, this church, we go to Sunday school classes, we go to restaurants, we go to work. You invite us to be your image bearers, sanctified, holy, different, so that when people see us, they see you. So now, Lord, help us as we leave this place to be on task, to be alert, to allow you to move in the recesses of our life that, that others would call secular. There's no secular life. It's all sacred and holy to you. And so, Lord, help us to see it in that way. Those conversations with neighbors, those lunches out, that workplace, which is our mission field. Help us to see it differently. Give those times to you and see if you don't redeem them. Now, Lord, bless us and use us. Keep us in your will. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, God bless folks.